list of beans here. Uh, what, do you, what do you see when you look at this? Is it, is it half full or is it half empty? Heard, heard an empty. Yeah, half full, half empty. What do you think? Well, uh, there are two kinds of people in the world. The, the person that looks at that and says, oh, it's, it's half full. Th- this person tends to see the, the positive first. They, they can find hope in almost any kind of situation. The other kind of person is the person that looks at that and says, oh, it's half empty. It's, it's missing some. They tend to see the negative first. Th- this can be really good when, when you have a problem to fix or identify. Well, I'll confess to you today, naturally, I tend to see a jar like this and I say, oh, it's missing some beans. What happened? Although there are exceptions, I tend to be the type of person who sees the problem first. A part of that is because I I love to play the role of fixing problems and helping others. I love seeing problems resolved, especially when they're problems with, with relationships, problems spiritually that people are going through. However, because I tend to see the problem first, sometimes it may seem that that Mike only sees the negative in a situation. Sometimes. And and as I've become more self-aware and God's been growing me as a person, I've I've come to realize that I can actually, I can lack joy in the little things sometimes because I'm seeing the problem first. And so I've learned that there are many times in my life that, that I should actually be thankful and full of joy but instead, I'm catching myself dwelling on what's wrong. Maybe, maybe some of you can relate to that. I understand it's not everybody, but I, I, I'm just guessing some of you, this Christmas season may be a reminder of life's hard things. For you, maybe nothing seems to be going right. You think of family gatherings and you get anxious. You, they, they never go quite as you think they should. Maybe, maybe you don't have a family to gather with. And so you find yourself disappointed. You may even be distressed. And, and, and so you're waiting for something better. You're waiting to finally experience joy. But because of all that you've been through, you may even have disregarded that hope may be on the horizon. Well, I want to be honest with you today. I I have so been looking forward to this Christmas season. I've been waiting and waiting because today I'm thrilled to give you the best news that you will hear all year long. And that is there is exceeding joy in Christ. I know you kind of expect to hear that when you come to church, but it's true. There is exceeding joy in Christ. And I want to show you that from a story we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 2 today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up. We'll have the words on the screen. If you don't have a Bible and want to follow along, there should be some under the seats near you there that you could pull out. Uh, We're going to look at Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, which is toward the back of the Bible. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. 
And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For, for so it is written by the prophet, and they quote an Old Testament scripture in verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Friends, this is the word of God. It's a, it's a story of two kings, Herod and Jesus. It's a story that starts at Jesus' birth. He was born in Bethlehem while Herod was reigning. And it was about this time, there, there were several wise men from Babylon in the east, and they came to Jerusalem. Although we know that there were more than one magi, those, those, the wise men, that's, that's what the wise men were called, the magi, the, the Bible actually doesn't tell us how many. So, some infer that there were three because we see that there's three gifts given. But we just don't know. They, they were looking for the newborn king of the Jews. And they followed the star to Jerusalem. The star was foretold in the Old Testament. An example to, to point to this is Numbers 24, 17 have this on the screen. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so these wise men, they were really smart. They were well-studied guys, and so they knew what this bright star meant. They, they began to follow the star and search for the king of the Jews. And in the Matthew text, we actually see three responses to Jesus' birth, and I, I want to show these to you today. The first is disregard. Disregard. Disregard's a choice of indifference. This was a choice made by the Jewish religious leaders. Look back at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so when Herod heard what was going on, what did he do? He called all the religious leaders together, the experts, the chief priests, the scribes. These were the, the, the people who were the, the highest religious leaders of Jesus' day, and they knew their stuff. The, these were the people, they'd be copying the scriptures day after day. In fact, they had most of the scriptures memorized, so many more than, than probably anybody in this room. They were professional Bible studiers. They, they didn't have to look up answers to biblical questions because they already knew them off the top of their head. If, if you were playing a, a game of Bible Jeopardy, they'd get 100% every time. That, that's how much they knew. 
And so when, when Herod came to find out the scoop of this so-called king of the Jews, they didn't give him, give him less than any kind of, like an educated guess. They, they gave him the direct response. In fact, they quoted from the Old Testament. Verse 5, it says, They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So these religious leaders, off the top of their head, they quote Micah 5.2 from the Old Testament. And then they just kind of go back to their own business. And honestly, it's not, it's not all that surprising that they knew the answer. These guys were smart. They knew their stuff. They knew their Bible. But, but what was surprising is how they responded in disregard. They didn't respond in excitement and like, let's go see. They, they, they just kind of went back, did their thing. Indifference, disregard. There, there are people all around like this. Sure, there are, there are people in our world who disregard Jesus. They're indifferent toward him. They, they know that he was born in Bethlehem. He was born to a, a mother named Mary. He, he did miracles. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. They, they know all of this. They just don't really care. It makes no difference in their lives. And honestly, there are a lot of people like this in our world. But here's, here's something, I don't know if you thought about this. There's actually a lot of people like this in, in churches, too. See, if you, if you quiz them on Bible trivia, they do just fine. They've memorized the answers. They've read the stories. They've heard the stories. They've gone to church. But if you inform them, God in the flesh is just five miles down the road. Let's go see him. They'd shake their heads no. They'd look at their calendar and say, hey, my son's got a game. I've got to go. I, I've got dinner plans. There's, there's this sale going on at the store, and it's like 50% off. I'm never going to get that again on this item. I can't miss my afternoon nap. Maybe next time. All sorts of reasons. Disregard. Indifference. See, we live in a world that disregards that which is of supreme importance. People show up at churches Sunday after Sunday, but they live as though there is no king on the throne except for themselves. They're, they're, they're each their own king, and they do whatever they desire in their own eyes. Disregard, that's how the religious leaders responded. And we see this evidenced as, as the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John continue. And Jesus interacts with these religious leaders. Disregard. And so I have a question for you this morning. Is it possible, is it possible that you might be disregarding Jesus in some way? Is it possible? That, that with all things considered, you're, you're actually indifferent toward Christ. So here's a few questions to think about. Is, is your worship of God, is it birthed out of obligation or guilt? Do you find yourself just continually going through the Christian motions, the traditions of life, without little thought of why 
Have others who know you really well in your life seen a trajectory of spiritual growth over the years? It's obvious. Wow, she's growing in Christ. Wow, I can see him maturing in the Lord. Friends, look out. You can be very religious and still disregard Christ. That's the first response we see in the text. The second response we see is one of distress. Look back at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was, what does it say? He was troubled. That's why he called the religious leaders together, because he was troubled. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. You see, Herod, he had been in power for quite some time, but he didn't want to lose control. He didn't like that people were coming from all over the place, especially these wise men, to see Jesus and to worship him. Jesus was getting way too much attention in Herod's eyes. Herod was jealous. Herod was afraid of what Jesus' influence may actually do to him. He was distressed. He, he was paranoid about losing his position. He, he So paranoid that, that he, he felt threatened by people. And when he felt threatened by people, he'd, he'd eliminate them. He'd get rid of them. In fact, he had quite the track record. I don't know if you know this, but he drowned the high priest. He murdered his, his wife's mother. He murdered his wife. In fact, he even murdered three of his sons because he felt that they were threatening his throne. This is one sick dude. Herod, he chose to respond in distress. He chose to hate Jesus because he saw Jesus as a threat. Herod's distress led to deceit. He wanted these wise men to relay back to him where this little baby Jesus was so that he could try to eliminate his threat. And so here's my question for you. Do you see Jesus as a threat? And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying like you have this, this feeling of like I want to go murder somebody like, like I was just describing about Herod. But here's the deal. If, you, if Jesus is king, do you know what that means? It means you're not. It means your dethronement. It means your submission to him. It means that you can't be the leader of your life anymore. That's what it means when Jesus is king in your life. And here's the deal. Many people, many, many people in our world respond to Jesus in distress. They may not even realize it. They may not admit it. But they do because they realize that they can no longer be the centerpiece of their lives anymore. Is that you? I've had seasons in my life where I've responded to Jesus in distress. Ask the Lord to search your heart this morning. That's the second response we see in Matthew chapter 2. Now the third response we see to Jesus' birth is very different than the first two. This is exceeding joy. Look at verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. 
And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. As these wise men, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. I want you to remember, they, they came from a long way off. They had to travel quite a distance to get to Bethlehem. And when they got there, the text says that they fell down and they bowed down and they worshipped him. It also says they worshipped him by giving him generous gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But why? Why would they do this? Why were these wise men filled with exceeding joy for Jesus? Why did it overflow in their hearts? Well, these wise men, they must have known some of the Old Testament scriptures. And you're, I know you're putting the pieces together. You're like these religious leaders did too. What was different? Well, there must have been something going on in their heart. They must have known some Old Testament scriptures like, like Psalm 1611 that says, you make known to me the path of life. In, the pres- in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. They must have not just known that in their heads, but it must have gotten to their hearts. Or, or Psalm 43, 4, which says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. They saw the star. They heard that Christ was born. And so what do we see? We see them seek him. They they submit to him. They sacrifice in worship to Jesus. We we see them seeking Jesus as they traveled on this 400 to 600 plus mile journey to find the newborn king of the Jews. That's a long way, folks. There was probably hardship on that journey. They didn't have cars and planes. We we see them submitting to Jesus by their change in posture when they see the Christ. They, They fall down and they worship him. We see them sacrificing for Jesus as they give these generous gifts. Let's think about the gifts for a minute. The the Magi gifts were, were not royal care packages. They, they, weren't, they weren't bribes. They, they were generous gifts of worship. The, these gifts reveal the wise men's treasure. In fact, Jesus says in the Bible, in Matthew 6, 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These, these three really expensive gifts, they weren't needed by Jesus. And and, in fact, the the wise men had more need or use of these gifts than Jesus did. And so this is a picture of sacrificial generosity as an act of worship. That's what we see here. There's a pastor named John Piper, and he says this in reference to the wise men's gifts. It'll be on the screen. The joy that I pursue is not the hope of getting rich with things from you. I've not come to you for your things, but for yourself. 
this I desire, I now intensify and demonstrate by giving up things in the hope of enjoying you more, not the things. By, by giving to you what you do not need and what I might enjoy, I am saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure, not these things. Guys, that is what it means that these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh were given. And that's exactly what it means when we come and we worship God with our time, our talents, our, our finances. God doesn't need them. He, does, he doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need our stuff, our money. He doesn't need it. But we offer them to show God and to show ourselves that God is our true treasure and our delight and not our stuff. And so we give up what we have to honor God in that way. Because these wise men, they worship this King Jesus with exceeding joy. Their, their, their joy led them to seek Jesus. Their, their joy led them to submit to Jesus and to sacrifice for Jesus in worship. Their treasure wasn't their stuff. It was the Christ. And so friends, may, may God use this truth from this scripture today to awaken your desire for Christ himself. I mean, why, why was Jesus their treasure that led to exceeding joy? Why? Because he's the Christ. He's the Messiah of Isaiah 9, 6, which we looked at last week if you were here. Which says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's He's the source of life. He's the creator of life. He's the giver of life. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the one who saves. Guys, this is the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that you and I are extremely broken people and we cannot fix ourselves. We can't. Our sin is ever before us. That's true of you. It's true of me. But Jesus Christ, God himself, came into this world to live the righteous life for us because he knew we couldn't. And he went to the cross to die, to, to shed his blood, not because he deserved it, he didn't. He did it because he loves you. He loves you. He took upon himself the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin. And he rose. And, and he rose to life. Guys, Christ is alive. This is real. And, 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 and if you, you trust this to be true personally for you, if you have faith in Jesus, who he is and what he's accomplished for you, you, you are not only rescued from the doom you deserve for your sin, but you are welcomed into the family of God. 
See, trusting Christ is not only about what you're saved from, it's about what you're saved for. And so today I want to invite you to set aside your disregard and your distress. That, that you be filled with, with exceeding joy that causes you to, to seek him, to submit to him, to sacrifice for him. Because Christ has come. For some of you, this is the routine. We, we gather Christmas after Christmas after Christmas. We sing the same songs. We do the same things. Guys, this is real. Jesus came to save you. And as you embrace that truth and surrender yourself to him, you may actually find that your jar of beans has actually become full. Even when you look around and your circumstances may look or feel otherwise. Let's pray. Father God, I ask you today that you would fill those of us who have come to worship you with exceeding joy because of Christ. That you would cause us to treasure Christ more than any other. That Jesus would be our greatest delight. We trust you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close the service with a couple songs. And hopefully as you came in, you grabbed a